Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about three levels of third-tier consciousness. (laughs) Yes, it's a big mind episode. This we were talking about previously, if you remember, in our series, Impressions of Grace and Grit. And we talked about this in chapter 11, where we were talking about the entire spectrum of consciousness. And we went all the way from the bottom, all the way up to the top, based on, well, this conversation that Ken Wilbur was having with someone who was interviewing him. And, well, I highly recommend the series. We've covered that there. And it's a very long series and it's very in-depth and we cover so many different things. It's such a rich piece of writing, Grace of Grit, Grace and Grit. So there's a lot in that and it's, it's very dense, which is why here today I wanted to really make it clear and really go into the details of third tier consciousness and the three levels a la the sage, the saint, and the mystic. Now, the first thing to understand is that these words are used in many different ways. So what we do now here in this conversation is we create a picture around these three words, sage, saint, and mystic, and yet we also remain aware that Other people outside of this conversation use these words in ways that have different pictures attached to them. They have different meanings attached to them. And it is such that sometimes, well, they even swap them. They use them interchangeably. And if you listen carefully enough to what we're saying here, and you understand these descriptions that we're going through, then you'll be able to distinguish. You'll be able to clear... be clear with the different meanings and when someone is using the different meanings for the different words. So keep that in mind. We are creating a definition for each of these words and yet in other contexts those definitions can change. So there is a bit of a prerequisite for this conversation, which is that I assume you know about first tier and second tier thinking. And this word tier, third tier, is not foreign to you. So if it is, then, well, it's going to be going a bit further out of reach for you today. And you probably need to go back and work out first what it means to have tiers of consciousness. Because here we're narrowing it down to, we're just talking about third tier. We're talking about levels within the tier 
So if you're not up to that, well, this conversation, sure, listen along by all means, but otherwise you have a gap in your knowledge which needs to be filled soon enough. And it can be filled soon enough. It's just a matter of time. You'd really just, you really just have to keep listening along. That's all it takes. So let's get into the meat of this. The sage, the saint, and the mystic. These are three types of people. And they're not really types. And they're three, well, we could say they're three forms of psychology, but they're not really forms of psychology either. We could say they're stages of consciousness. And when you realize them, well, then you become that, you are that thing. You are a sage when you realize the level or the stage of consciousness, which is stagedom. And you are a saint when, well, you are at the stage of consciousness that is of the saint. Now, it might be apparent on first looking that we're putting these in an order which is one is better than the other and you'll see as we go along that that's not exactly right when we talk about third tier or the levels within third tier it's not that one comes after the other like they do in first tier it's not that you need one to go to the other it's also not that one is better or worse than the other it's just that they're, well, they're different. There are differences. And you'll see that as we keep talking about them. So don't think that, oh, I need to become a sage, and then I'll become a saint, and then I'll become a mystic, and that's the order in which it unfolds. No, that's not going to apply in third-tier consciousness. And that actually brings me up to another point, which is, well, why understand these things? And the answer is, well, to expand your knowledge. And we could say on the one hand that I could sell you the idea of you wanting to become one of these things. Like I could stand up here in my soapbox and say, look, you've really got to become a sage or you really want to become a saint. Or the real, the real juice in life is where you, you become a mystic. And there's a problem in that, which you'll see as we go along, which is that it's not about ambition. It's not about chasing something. These levels are about realization, not becoming. And if you remember when we were talking about the elixir koans, third tier consciousness is not a level of consciousness, it's not a tier of consciousness that involves autonomy. It's not you that is doing it. It's not you that is getting the things that are in this tier of consciousness. You've already transcended this sense of self and other in subtle ways and in a various number of ways. Well, well this is really the, the, the business end of that journey. So... Let's, let's really go into this now. With all that in mind, it's very important to keep that in mind as we go along. So I'm not trying to sell you something to become. It's really something to be aware of. And at this stage, well, it's in the form of a conversation. So we're talking about knowledge. 
We're really translating third-tier consciousness down into a conversation, down into knowledge. And, well, it's just something to be aware of. And Maybe notice how you feel about whether you want to become these things or whether you want to aspire to these things or what you have in you that, well, it might be that actually some of the qualities we discuss are already in you. And that can be a very profound realization. To notice that, well, I don't need to expand my consciousness, it's already there. And particularly in the mystic stage, well, that actually does apply. So third tier consciousness generally requires a letting go of spiritual ambition. If in first-tier consciousness your, your values are driving your beliefs and your ambitions and your autonomy, and then in second-tier consciousness, well, then we're talking about things that are dissolving the autonomy and, and you go into being and you're more of existing within a happening, well, then third-tier consciousness, well, that is non-being. That is non-existence. And you're defined by what you're not. And the things that happen to you happen because of all the things that are not happening. So let's get into it. I know I've been, I know that's a bit of a preamble. That's a bit of a, we have to set these things up. There's certain things you have to keep in mind. So what is a sage? A sage is someone who has mastery of those finer details of consciousness. And they really master them well. A sage is a superhuman. A sage is someone with superpowers. And the sorts of things they master, well, they're consciousness quality things. Things like perception. Things like your state. Things like your attention span. Things like the ability to think and to not think. So at one level of consciousness, we're trying to sort out our thoughts. We're trying to have profound thoughts. We're trying to have complicated thoughts. We're trying to have insightful thoughts. We're trying to have clear thoughts. But at the stage of the sage... You're trying to really have the skill to, well, do all that, but also not think at all. So a sage is someone who can go days on end without thinking. A sage is someone who's mastered their body. And it doesn't mean, well, they're a bodybuilder, so they have big muscles. And it doesn't exactly mean also that, well, they do yoga, so they're a contortionist, and they can put it into all sorts of shapes. Well, no, that's not it either. It's more of a mastery of, well, how it works, an awareness of what's going on in it. A sage will do things like slow their breathing, and in some cases even stop their breathing, slow their heart rate, and well, also in some certain cases, they can stop their heart rate. A sage can sit perfectly still, 
without moving an inch for hours on end. And a sage, well, they have this sort of superhuman ability to have their body do things which the normal person can't do. And these are qualities, these are, these are skills which the sage builds. The sage can, well, take for example the, the slowing of the breath. Well, that's something you can do through an exercise. You can practice slowing the breath. And you can build it up. And you can get better at it. And you can do it in different situations. And a sage, well, that's someone who's taken that practice to the nth degree. And they can slow their breathing down so that they're only breathing in and out once every few minutes. And it's not that they're holding their breath. It's actually that they are breathing that slow. I have a whole series on breathing techniques. It's a 10-part series, which is called Learning to Breathe. And so there's a lot in breathing techniques. And the sage, well, they're a superhuman because they've done not only the breathing techniques, but also the techniques of the mind. Also the techniques of the body and of the heart and of their state. And one thing that a sage is, a very important quality of the sage is ecstasy. A sage is someone who has ecstasy on a regular basis. And I don't mean the drug, I mean the state, I mean the feeling. They feel an explosive, an explosive feeling of ecstasy. Just pleasure, rapturing pleasure all throughout their blood and their bones. And they can do that whenever they want, without a hangover. If they want, they can just sit on their cushion and and have explosive pleasure for hours on end. Because they've mastered it. They've taken it to the extreme. And it really makes someone who takes the drug ecstasy look like, well, it looks like child's play. Because to the sage... They look at someone who takes ecstasy and they say, okay, well, you've paid money for this drug, you've eaten it, and then it's given you two hours or so or however long of its last of pleasure, and then you've got this massive come down and you've got toxins in your blood and you've got a hangover and it messes up your mind, and, well, that's not, not a very good trade. That's not worth it for the sage because for the sage... The sage can just sit down, cross their legs, close their eyes, and boom. They get the pleasure, the same pleasure that the person got, well, with the drug. And yet they have it for much longer, and it doesn't mess up their mind. It doesn't put toxins into their body. And, well, it doesn't come with a hangover. And this is really hard to believe. For someone who doesn't understand the, the ways of the sage, it's, it's so far out of their imagination that it's even possible. I remember when I was learning these things, I was shocked. I was astonished 
to find that these things are true. And that's why, well, we call the sage a superhuman. It's not that they're a superhuman in the sense that they're going to be able to pick up a car or fly through the air or anything like that. It really takes a sense of maturity. You really have to have a certain amount of sight to be able to see the powers of the sage. But they are, well, sages are superhumans. Because they have a mastery over themselves. And how do they get this mastery? Well, through hardcore, vigorous training. They do the techniques. They do the methods. They do them over and over again. They do do all the methods more than the person who invented the methods did. Someone like Gautama Buddha. He's famous for going through the processes that had been invented. All the techniques and all the traditions and all the meditations and all the prayer and everything. He went to all the monasteries and all the religious institutions and he did them. And he did them so much that the people who invented them looked at them, looked at him and said, wow, you did them more hardcore than us. And that's what it takes to become a sage. And this is, well, this is where the spiritual ambition is. This is where the spiritual ambition is good. Because you see the glory of the sage. You see the superhuman of the sage. You see what it takes. And you go, okay, now there is where I'm going to find a path. And I'm going to walk, to, walk towards that. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do my breathing exercises. I'm going to do my meditation. I'm going to have my meditation retreats. I'm going to clean up my diet. And I'm really going to try and become a sage. <laughs> now, depending on where you, where you begin, it might be that just some, basic, just, just some basic self-help would be a good step in the right way for you and me. <laughs> Let's not get too ambitious. Let's just talk... Let's just try and get some basic self-esteem issues sorted first. (laughs) But that's what it's like. That's the image of the sage. It's the superhuman. And there is something quite wise in working towards it. And you can make ground. You can learn a lot. Now, the people that are gurus, there are certain gurus who are sages Well, if you're in a room with them, well, the difference between you and them becomes very obvious quite quickly. The difference in attention span, for example, or the difference in perception. Now, that's another thing. Perception is, we've talked about ecstasy. Now, perception is another whole big thing that the sage has. They can see things quite physically that you can't. They can hear things in the environment that you can't. They can feel the temperature of the air. They can smell the air. Can you smell the air where you are right now? What does it smell like? Were you aware of it before I brought your attention to it? And which part of your body is exposed to air? Which parts of your skin don't have clothing covering them? Were you aware of that? 
before I brought your attention to it? What other sounds can you hear? Now, this whole thing of me drawing your attention to it, well, that's, that's one of the practices of perception. And I can sit here and I can remind you again, come back to your perceptions. What, what can you see right now? Look around where you are what, and, and really try and label them. And really observe the quality of them. Is there anything that's dusty? Is there anything that looks old? Anything that looks new? Is there anything that looks like it needs to be cleaned up? <laughs> Does anything look chaotic? Does anything look peaceful? Now all we're doing here is we're just drawing your attention to your perceptions. And if you do that over and over again, well, your perceptions get better. That's the practice. And the sage is someone who's done that practice and their perceptions are, well, they're off the chart. With the sage, what we could do is we could close their eyes, bring them into a room and then close their eyes and then say, okay, now name all the things in this room. And they might name all the, na- all the things across the bookshelf. You say, oh my goodness, how did, you, how did you see that? You were only in this room for a few minutes. Sort of spooky, supernatural that you could, you could do that. Now, you would never have a... <laughs> I doubt you would ever have a sage as like, oh, let's test him. <laughs> I don't think that's quite how it works. I mean, these little things that sages do where we say, wow, how did you do that? They sort of just happen naturally around them. So I can't really imagine us actually actually having a sage where we can do an experiment on like that. It's a very outlandish. I'm just trying to illustrate the point. It's just another illustration of, well, it's just an example of, well, the superhuman. And that's the sage. A sage is the superhuman. A sage is the master. A sage is the one that has mastery over all aspects of their life in so many ways. And it's not just the lower aspects, but it's the very high quality, very deep aspects of what it means to exist as a human being and the principles or the components of humanness. And now we come to, well, the saint. And I think most people, when they hear this word saint, they think of the church. Saint Augustine, Saint Teresa, Saint John, Saint Paul, Saint Valentine. Did you know Valentine's Day was named after a saint? And there are many saints. Now, for the purposes of this conversation, we want to leave aside your impression of saints. We want to sort of start from scratch because saints, well, they get caught up in their religious dogma and they get caught up in, well, multiple levels of consciousness. And what happens when you have the second stage in third-tier consciousness 
and it encounters, well, the first stage of stage five of first tier consciousness, well, you have a very big gap in understanding there. So the person who is at stage five in first tier consciousness is going to have all sorts of wrong things to say about the saint. And you can see why there's so much confusion. Because there's such a large spectrum and we're all trying to get along together. So put aside any ideas of what you might have about the saint and we'll start from scratch and we'll talk about the saint as to who they really who they really are unto themselves when they truly and authentically realized that sense of consciousness or that state well it's not really a state we could say it's a sense we could say it's a uh, we could say it's a level but it's not even really a level of consciousness but we'll we'll say level because that's better than saying it's a state or a sense but well a lot of these words we're just trying to use words to get at what we're saying anyway so the saint well the saint is someone who has access to god now what is god now remember that at lower tier consciousness god is the man in the cloud that's giving out the rules but at the higher tiers of consciousness Allah, where we are talking about right now and right here, well, God is something else. God is one with existence. God is one with you. One is one. You are God. You are Brahman. You are one with everything and you are in your own dream. So what does it mean to have access to God when you are God? Well, there's a couple of ways to go about this. And the, the two ways that I like to talk about here, and this is something that the, sa- the saint does, is, well, they talk to God. So a saint is someone who prays. So talking is one way that the saint accesses God. And the other way is through vision. So they see God. And so they can see images of God. Now, what is God? Well, God is everything. So what does it mean that you can see God and God is everything? Does that mean what you're seeing right now is God? And the answer is yes. And if you're really looking at, well, look at what you're looking at right now and you can see God, well, then you're starting to feel the level of saint. The consciousness of being in sainthood. Saintdom. Now really try it. Look at look at around. Look around you. This is God that you're looking at. And it's the same if you close your eyes. If you imagine something, your imagination, well that includes that includes vision. Because your vision is not just looking out your eyes into the physical world. But your vision is also looking at, well, what's inside your mind. Now, with these two things, the saint has worked those two skills up so that they can see God, of seeing God and talking to God. So they can talk to God and they can see God. 
And how do they do that? Well, they keep doing it over and over again. They practice it. And the saint, well, they pray to God. And what happens when you pray is that eventually God starts talking back. And in some ways, well, you're talking to yourself always. You're always talking to yourself. So right now I'm talking to myself. But it could be that I'm having someone listen. And it could be that, well, the, the words that are coming out of my mouth are actually something that is in your head, which in a sense is actually you talking to yourself in your head. What you're hearing right now is the voice of God, which is you talking to yourself. And it's a bit spooky when you get a sense of that. It's a bit spooky when you really start to have the the sense of self dissolve because that loop becomes clear. So when the saint is praying to God, he's actually standing in front of a mirror and talking into the mirror. It's actually a dialogue with himself. And you might say, well, this is crazy. This is ludicrous. Why is he talking to the man in the cloud that he's just imagined up? God isn't real. You can say yes, but actually you do talk to yourself all the time inside your head. And you do talk back to yourself. You're saying something and then you say something to that. And then another thought comes along and you say something to that. You might ask a question or you might say something about something that happened. And then you say something else and you say, oh, I'm deciding this or I'm deciding that or I need to think about this or I'm trying to understand that. Oh, what am I? I am this or I feel bad about this or why do I feel about this? And there's a whole complex to the mind, which is you talking to yourself inside your head. And the saint, well, the saint is someone who's recognized this and they've found the practice of prayer of saying, well, instead of me just talking to myself, that's a, the mind is a closed loop. If it's your mind talking to your mind, you're going to go round in circles over and over again. So the practice of prayer is say, okay, instead of talking to myself, little me, let me talk to myself as in God is everything. Let me talk to the universe and open up that loop. And it breaks out of this tiny little circle of the mind. And then, well, you do the practice over and over and you build it up. And eventually the universe speaks back to you and you start to hear the voice of God. Now, if you're following me along, you know that the voice of God for the saint is their own voice. Now, think of someone who's, think of all these figures in history who have said, the voice of God told me these words to write them down, and this was the religious text. Many religions have have been founded on these sorts of texts. Now, we look at that with the rational mind and we say, no, it was just you in your cave talking to yourself. You were just thinking it up. You just made it up. And on the surface, yes, in a sense, that's right. But in another sense, no. 
Because that person was talking to themselves in such a way that it would open up things that was beyond their small self. It was beyond something that their small life could have come up with because they were talking to the universe with such an openness openness that it spoke back to them. And that experience was so powerful that they would realize, wow, this isn't me, this is something else. I couldn't have thought this up. It's so much further beyond my own mind. So what, what am I going to call this other voice? What am I going to call this other thing? Well, I'll call it God. Now, it can be that saints realize these things without being able to articulate them as clearly as we are articulating them here. It's much easier for us because we're doing the post-mortem. We're doing the post-analysis on what's happened. We have a lot more information available to us to make these distinctions between consciousness now than we did back then. Which is why there's so much confusion around, well, the saints from yonder years, the old saints. Because the saints would have these peak experiences of extremely high consciousness they would hear the voice of God and then they'd translate it back down into the lower levels and tiers of consciousness. And that's why we have so much confusion around religion. So that doesn't mean that the voice of God is not real. It just means that your idea of it is not exactly right. Now, that's the voice of God. Now, that's, that's just using the voice. So that's prayer. Now, the other, the other side of the saint is the vision. So you can do the same thing with your imagination. So you close your eyes and you look around and you say, well, what do I see? And at first, well, you're stuck in your small mind. You're dealing with, well, just your normal life, the situations that you're in. the things that you've been doing. And that's a closed loop, just like speaking is the closed loop of the mind. Well, imagination is the closed loop of your life, the things you've seen visually, physically. So try to, try to here's, here's the trick, here's a way into it. Try to imagine something that you haven't seen with your physical eyes in the physical world. So if you dream and you remember what you saw in your dreams, that would be something. That would be like, oh, oh, I had this dream and there was this animal and it was it was a half it was half dog, half dragon, and it came up to me and started speaking to me in Chinese, and I could understand it. What a weird dream. That was a very strange dream. I think there was something in the pudding last night. Now that's an example of the vision starting to break out of the normal, everyday sorts of visions that you have. You're going beyond the mind imagination. It's sort of a higher... Well, imagination, I mean, we can... I mean, what, how can we talk about this? We can say that there's imagination like, oh, I can think up weird things and that's my imagination. But then there, there are visions, like a vision from God. The vision from God would be, well, you've done the practice and the skill 
to be able to go beyond the imagination and beyond the mind. So much so that, well, now it's becoming something beyond you that, well, it can't be you. It's not you that's doing it. It's something coming from somewhere else. It's from a higher force. It's from something much bigger than you could ever call yourself. And the saint will have a dream, or they'll call it a dream or something, or they'll have an episode where they'll see something and they'll come back to their normal day consciousness and they'll talk about it. They'll say, this is what it means. This is what God wants. And there are many famous books that talk about people who could do this. And also, just like the voice of God, well, the visions of God, they might not have been clear about the exact meaning of them and about where they fit into a full spectrum of consciousness. It's not like they were saying, okay, now I've had a level two, third tier state episode, and I'm going to translate it down into level five, first tier psychology. No, they couldn't have done that. They couldn't have said that. Because these fine distinctions and these gradations of consciousness weren't available to them. So again, that's why there's so much confusion around saints. Another way of illustrating this is to, well, look look at the Catholic Church. And they have this tradition of the confessional. So in confessional, you go, you sit in the booth, and you say things which you wouldn't tell anyone else. And that's another example of using the voice to open up your sense of self. Because you say these things to the priest, because it's easier to say it to him, because you think, okay, well, he's going to be understanding, he's going to forgive me, he's going to tell me it's all right, so I'll tell him. And there'll be something something good, he promises that there'll be something good that comes from it which makes it easier for you to say it. And that, well, that can be a step towards prayer because you can just say these things to God. And that's your way of starting to deal with the things that are within you which you can't face on your own. That's your way of starting to open up this closed loop with the words that you're saying. So you go to confessional, You do that a couple of times, and then he teaches you to pray, and then you do that a couple of times, and then when you pray some more, you learn that you can speak to God directly, and you do that a couple of times, and then voila, you're a saint. (laughs) Might be that it takes a bit of practice. So, there is... There is a lot of dogma and misunderstanding because so much in the church would not... I mean, if you go to a confessional now, the priest is not going to be saying, well, this is why we're doing it. It's not a spiritual practice so that you can move your consciousness along the grand, broad spectrum of consciousness because the priest doesn't make these distinctions either. The priest doesn't understand the broader context 
So if you're going to actually use the priest, don't first explain, oh, look, can you help me with my third tier consciousness development? No, that's not going to fly. You're going to have to just go in on your own terms and work it out for yourself. And you could do that. I mean, that's that's one of the things about these higher levels of consciousness is that you start to use the lower consciousness techniques, which are shrouded in confusion and misunderstanding and they're tainted in so many ways, but you learn how to use them for your own benefit, for some very high level things. You learn to learn to use them for some very deep progress in your awareness and your consciousness. So that's the saint. And if you think of, well, your priest, and he says that he's been praying a lot, or he's had a vision from God, or he's heard the voice of God, well, that's because he's got this loop in his consciousness, which is expanded beyond his own small mind, he or she. And it's opened up into, well, the larger context or the larger existence that is beyond the small self of him, him or her, his small life. And that's the saint. There's a lot in the saint. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, what we could do for the saint is we could, you know, pick someone or we could choose a religious text or we could choose a prophet, you know, foretelling the few, like prophecy is another quality of the saint. And that's that's a whole big thing that, well, that's another tangent. But what we could do is we could use it as a study and we could see all the different qualities of the saint and see how they've opened up their loop to these higher states and these higher things. And we could do it with a traditional saint. We could do it with someone who didn't know about the spectrum of consciousness and we could plug it into the larger matrix and see, well, where they went wrong and why there's so much confusion about it. That's, that's what's the, so brilliant about having the full spectrum and understanding the whole thing is because you can see where things go wrong. And you can see where there's so much confusion. And there's a lot in the saint. And it's a very unique thing to study because it's got the, well, it's got the religious documentation on it. And there have been saints throughout age the ages now in the in the case of the sage well the literature is different because usually with sages someone else has written the book someone's met this amazing person and then written a book about them like plato wrote about socrates paul wrote about jesus and whether jesus was a saint a sage or a mystic well we'll come to that Maybe soon enough. But with the saint, well, they've done their own writing. And they've formed a dogma around it. They've formed a text around it. So there is a way in to understanding the saint, which is different to the sage. And now we come to the mystic. And the thing to be understood about the mystic is that, well, every single person is a mystic. And there's no practice for it. There's no way you can attain it. There's nothing special about it. 
There's nothing unique about it at all. Every single person who ever lived for every moment of their life was a mystic by this definition of what we're talking about here today. The mystic has what existence has. And there's no way to escape what existence is giving you. There's no way you can be what you are not. And this is so tricky. This is so tricky to understand. Because there are no methods. There are no philosophies. It's really even the philosophy of non-duality. That's what we're talking about here. Even that is, well, it's a falsity. It's got an air of pretension to it. It's, it's a fake, it's, it's almost like a false religion, which isn't a religion. Because a mystic, well, every single person is a mystic. And when you hear a guru say, well, everyone is already enlightened, that's what they're talking about. So the mystic is not a superhuman like the sage. And the mystic does not have access to visions and the voice of God like the saint. No, the mystic is someone who's perfectly normal. The mystic is the, the guy that's just down at the veggie shop and he just runs a small independent grocery store and he's there all day and he does the deliveries and he talks to the customers and that's it. The mystic is the person who just works in the coffee shop. The mystic is, well, the person just driving their car. The mystic is the person driving their, taking the dog for a walk. A mystic is, well, whoever is ex- existing at any point in any time in the entire history of existence. Right now we're being mystics. Whatever you're doing, you're being a mystic. And it could be that, well, there are some mystics that have been sages. And there are some, there are some mystics that have been saints. And some sages and saints decide to become mystics in the sense of, well, I leave behind my superhero powers and I just become ordinary. Now, imagine, imagine the saint leaving behind the word of God. And that's not the same as, well, I found out that religion is wrong. No, it's not like that at all. No, it's leaving it behind because... It's an attempt to step back into existence even deeper. And it's real. Well, it's really, you can't even say that it's an attempt to step back. I mean, you can't even attempt to, to get it. You can't even, you, you, there's no way to achieve to become an, a, mis, a mystic. With the sage, a certain amount of autonomy will get you these skills. With a saint, well, you have to let go of yourself and to become humble again, to become open to the word of God. But for the mystic, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's really nothing to it, quite literally. And there are people in history who have been, they've become gurus by being mystics. 
because they've been so ordinary that they've been extraordinary. And they really are nobodies. They don't really have much to them. If you look at them on the surface, well, you see that uh, they don't do anything special. They don't have any tricks. They don't even talk in a fancy way. They don't have big complex ideas. They don't have heaps of knowledge. They don't have a fancy... There's nothing to them. There's just nothing. They're just the most bland, ordinary person. And yet to be really bland and to be really ordinary and to know it is an extraordinary thing. It, it really is the highest level of consciousness. The mystic is the one who has attained what exactly existence is, which is what they really are in every moment. And they haven't attained it because they got it on their own merit. They haven't even attained it because God gave it to them. They've attained it because it's right there. Because they already have attained it. It's impossible to talk about because words are just shrouded in duality. And you'll never know if you've met a mystic. And the question is, do you know that you're a mystic? <laughs> and that's a question that's the same as telling a dog to go and chase its tail. <laughs> if you can imagine yourself pointing out to a dog that it has a tail, and the dog then realizes and says, oh, what's this, and starts running around in circles. Well, that's exactly the same as saying, do you realize that you're a mystic? <laughs> because look at look at the reaction really take this on for a moment and turn inwards and take a look at what comes up to answer this question do you know you are a mystic you might say well what is a mystic you've given this definition of the mystic you've given you've given this definition of the sage you've given this definition of the saint so what's the definition of the mystic? And I'll see if I fit the bill. That could be one thing that you think. But the problem is the definition of the mystic is exactly what you are. Exactly what, what you are is the definition of the mystic. And you might say, okay, well, let me describe myself. Uh, I'm this sort of person. I have these sorts of ideas. <laughs> And of course, already you're off on the wrong foot. You're already starting to try and make a definition. When I've already given you the definition. And there really, there really is nothing to say about the mystic. You can't, you can't have a big conversation. Like, the, the saint, if you go to a saint and you ask them, well, they're going to talk about God. And they're going to talk about divine presence. And these sorts of things. And if you talk to a sage, well, they're going to have insights. They're going to have realizations. And they're going to have techniques. And they're going to have methods. But if you go to the mystic, they, have no, they, they, they just have nothing to say. They say, I don't know how to talk about these things. Or uh, it doesn't matter to me. I don't believe in that. And it might be that, well, sometimes the mystic 
even when they've realised what they are, they take a normal job. They become a blacksmith. Or they become a carpenter. Or they become a horse rider. Or they become a farmer. Or they do whatever. And it's a very bland, it's just the same old thing. And there are many Zen stories about, well, the Zen master who would just carry a bag of toys around with him. And he'd just walk around carrying this big bag. And whenever a child came along, he would pull out a toy and give it to them. And people would see him and they'd say, wow, what is that? What is that man? What is he doing? And people would come to him and ask him questions. You know, what is enlightenment? What is Zen? What is realization? What is God? And every time he'd just sort of open his bag and give them a toy. And there's a whole lot of Zen stories that try and get at the the mystic of, which is that which is someone who is completely and utterly normal and yet completely comfortable exactly with what they are. So you're already enlightened. You're already there. There's no journey to take. And all these talks about non-duality are just more things to go about chasing your own tail. And this, well, understanding this reconciles the thing of spiritual ambition. Because now you know, well, where, where do I fit in? Do I do nothing? Do I just give up? Well, no, because maybe there's something you need to learn from being a sage. There's still something to be understood of the superhuman. You don't want to throw away your sense of the superhuman and the powers of the sage, like attention span and awareness and perception and ecstasy. These are very important things. And also you want to understand, well, what it means to have the voice of God speak to you. Because otherwise you're just going to have your mind and your thoughts going in circles. It's just going to be your thoughts that you've picked up from listening to people talk too much. And your imagination is, well, it's just going to go beyond... It's not even going to go beyond your dreams. You're just going to have weird dreams every now and then. You won't have inner vision of that of the saint. And yet when you grow tired of all this and you say, oh, to hell with this spiritual practice stuff, you can realize that, well, that's also part of you. That's part of being enlightened. That's part of what it means to exist. Because anything that exists is what you have. And the less resistance you have to that, well, the more you fall into being a mystic, which is being no one. And being one with existence.
So that's the sage, the saint, and the mystic. Or at least those are the definitions that we have created here for those words. Now, some people do call a sage a mystic. So some people would say that he's a mystic, and they mean the superhuman. They mean the person who has the skills. And the saint, well, the tricky thing to understand about the saint is that it's shrouded in religious dogma. So there's a lot of confusion with what people say about saints. But now that you've understood it, and that you've listened to the distinctions of how a genuine saint fits into the broader spectrum of consciousness, you can see those mistakes. You can see those differences. And this really is a deep maturity that you have. It really does require... If you've listened this far to the conversation, you need to understand you have a very intelligent way of understanding the different levels of consciousness and the different enlightened masters that there are. And it's going to be very good for you to understand their differences. It's going to just enrich how you want to be in your existence. It's going to enrich your knowledge of existence. It's going to enrich so much of what it means for you to exist and how you make your way through this dream that we're in. I think we should sit quietly for a few minutes to just let these words percolate. And if it's comfortable for you to do so, I invite you to just sit quietly with your eyes closed and maybe just listen to the voice in your head And you can find the voice of God by simply identifying what is not the voice of God. So just sit quietly now and we'll do a little bit of a practice of this. Where every time the voice makes a sound in your head, you say, well, that's not the voice of God. You can say whose voice it is might be my voice, might be your voice. And if it's someone else's voice, well, they might be saying something that they said to you. Or it might be someone else's voice, it could be a friend's voice, or a family member's voice. And they could be saying something that they haven't said to you. Listen to the voice in your head. Now, whose voice is that? And if it's not the voice of God, you say, no, that's not the voice of God.
And listen again. Listen, listen now. Has the voice changed? Whose voice is it? Whose voice can you hear? Is that the voice of God? And just sit quietly and listen. And keep listening for the voice of God. And every time it's not the voice of God, you say whose voice it is. And you say, no, that's not the voice of God. And that's all I have to say for now.